Is it an understatement to say that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are two of the most polarizing figures in American politics right now? They're probably two of the most polarizing people in recent memory. Folks I've heard are even stopping being friends with other people, at least on Facebook, because of which candidate they support. And there's nothing new about people not being overly comfortable about talking politics with each other. But not being able to even say who you support for fear of total ridicule and scorn and losing friends seems kind of new to me. Now, whether it's because of these particular candidates or it's a sign of the times, these two political candidates have ended up being extremely divisive and polarizing figures. I think it would be an overstatement to say that if you support one of these candidates, then you have to hate everybody in your family who supports the other one. Maybe not for some, but most people, that's probably a bit too far. But my point is that... That's what Jesus said about himself. You cannot be my disciple unless you hate members of my family. Thank you very much. Now, I don't mean that he meant that as soon as you start being his disciple, you just have to start hating people. I think it was more that once you become his disciple, you have to accept the fact that your family might reject or hate you. Or if your family isn't living as Jesus' disciple, you still need to, even that's going to cause some friction within your family. In short, Jesus was a polarizing figure, far beyond Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. If we are to take Jesus seriously today, we find that he is still just as polarizing. Not because he said outlandish or hurtful things, not because he was untrustworthy. Jesus was and is polarizing because he spoke hard truths, looked deeply into the heart of things, and lived an intentional, well-thought-out, and loving life. Jesus lived a life in which he loved people more than things, in a world in which many people valued their things over people. Anyone who does not give up their possessions cannot be my disciple, Jesus said. That's not exactly incendiary rhetoric. It may not be overly popular, but it's not really incendiary unless you value your money and excess money more than you value people in need. His teachings were not incendiary if you let, unless you let love of your religion trump love of God and people. His teachings were not incendiary unless you noticed the flaws in other people while ignoring your own misdeeds. Jesus was pretty darn uncompromising in his general stance that we don't get to do whatever we want if what we want to do is going to harm somebody else. You want a divorce, Mr. Pharisee? Well, sorry, dude, but that's going to leave your wife destitute. I get that her pot roast is generally dry and she's not as cute as she was 15 years ago. You need to grow up and honor the marriage vows you made. Folks didn't like hearing that. Yes, vineyard owner, I get that everyone, not everyone worked the same amount today, but they still need enough to live on. So pay them all a full day's wage, even though some only worked for a few hours. Folks didn't like hearing that. 
You've got some very impressive and expensive stuff here. More than you need, though. And there's people, there are people in this town who don't have enough. You could sell some of your possessions and ensure that folks could have a roof over their heads or the tools they need to start living, making a living with an honest trade. Oh, you want to keep all of your stuff instead? Then you can't be my disciple. Folks didn't like hearing that. But I don't want to forgive these people, Jesus. Some would say, they really hurt me. Well then, Jesus said, you can't be my disciple. Folks didn't like hearing that. Imagine what parents might have said to their children, to their head-in-the-clouds idiot children who had started following this crazy Jesus. If you start forgiving people like he says, son... Folks are going to walk all over you your whole life. You need to grow up, be strong, and stop being such a pansy. Or another father might have said, don't even think about giving away your possessions with that crazy long-haired hippie. I worked hard for this family, and now you want to just start giving your stuff away? That's a betrayal of all of my years of work. I didn't work so some stranger could have stuff that I don't even know. I worked for you, so don't you dare destroy all that over this crazy Jesus. Or another would say, well, if you want to run your business like a charity, good luck. But your workers are going to walk all over you. Pay them a full day's wage for a few hours work, you'll be sunk. And then you can come work for me. Moron. Folks either really loved what Jesus taught or they really, really hated what Jesus taught. And there wasn't a whole lot of in between. So Jesus told people that they needed to consider the cost of being his disciple before starting to follow him. Your family and friends may turn away from you, Jesus said. You'll need to give up a lot of what you have so that we can live this life together. And so that you can help with those who don't have enough. There will be burdens hard to bear. And you'll need to take those on as well. It's a little unorthodox as sales pitches go. But for many people, it worked. Because folks saw in Jesus something greater than their stuff. Folks saw in Jesus something greater than their pride. Folks saw in Jesus something worth the cost that he warned them that they would pay. Yeah, Lord, our stuff is pretty cool, but I do think I like people better. I get that some will see forgiveness as a weakness, but I see it as a strength of letting go of my hurt and offering grace. I get that in our economy of exchange, people should get nothing more than what they worked for. But I like that economy of your kingdom better where we choose to be generous so that people who can't work enough still have enough to live on. Some were scandalized by those teachings, and others saw them as beautiful. Further, people saw in Jesus forgiveness and grace, love and kindness, and a way of life that didn't care about self-righteousness but cared about righteousness for the sake of others. In Jesus, people seek to be righteous not so that they can be good enough for God. That's not the point 
of Jesus saying the cost of his discipleship is high. It's not about being good enough. It's about striving with intention, knowing we're going to mess up, but we strive for it anyway and put our trust in Jesus' grace. Putting our trust in Jesus. In Jesus, in Jesus, God makes us good enough through his grace. God makes us good enough through his forgiveness and love. And so then in Jesus, people seek to be righteous, not to be good enough. People seek to be righteous in Jesus for the sake of others. I will do right so that I don't harm others, so that I do good for others. That was also scandalous to many. This Jesus is claiming God's grace and forgiveness, but only the priests can declare God's forgiveness as the people offer their sacrifices to God. So said the religious leaders of Jesus' time. Jesus spoke for God because Jesus was God. Jesus declared God's forgiveness not because people had accomplished some religious task, but because he could see into people's hearts the regret for what they had done and a desire for a new start, a chance to lead a new life. And so Jesus granted people that new life, granting them God's forgiveness and grace and freeing them from the bonds of fear and shame that had kept them dwelling in their tortured past. Jesus offered people a new life of freedom and grace. Jesus declared as beautiful those whom society had cast aside. Jesus even said to invite such people into our homes. Have dinner with the poor and the outcast, Jesus said. Get to know as brother, sister, and friend those whom society would write off. Then you might actually have a reason to give up some of your possessions to share with those who are now your brothers and sisters and friends. Folks don't want to sell, we don't want to sell our possessions and give our money away simply to entrust it to someone else to spend it. We don't really trust that, often trust that those other people are going to spend our money better than we would. Sharing with the outcast of society who have now become our brothers and sisters and friends, however, that's a different story. That's the church truly living as the church. That's following what Jesus taught. That's a new life. Freed from love of possessions. Freed from fear and pride. The life of Jesus' disciple is a life of freedom and grace. But what if things go wrong when we start to share? What if we end up feeling duped or used what if our new brother or sister or friend ends up betraying us in some way? Well, then it's time for forgiveness and grace. Even as we may or may not say to that person, we may say no more. We would still show that person love, forgiveness and grace, perhaps even a second chance. When they've shown true repentance and regret. Following Jesus is not playing it safe. We're going to be used, mistreated, ridiculed, sometimes even by members of our own family. Jesus said we would. Jesus said we would be bearing a cross 
an implement of torture and death, not playing it safe. Jesus said we would be, I just said that, pardon me. Playing it safe means we get to put our trust in our stuff. Sometimes even trusting people and our religion as stuff to keep us safe. Following Jesus, choosing not to play it safe, we need to let go of everything we're afraid to lose. Then we can put our trust in Jesus. Then we can put our trust in his grace and love, in his mercy and forgiveness. Following Jesus, then, we receive a new life, a life no longer bound by fear and shame. Following Jesus, we receive a new life of freedom and grace. Amen.